on April 11, 1981, seven people were sleeping in a cabin in a rural resort town near Keddie, California. That morning, three people are going to be found brutally murdered. A fourth is missing, while three remain unharmed. Though there are two main suspects, a confession and a letter, there still remains multiple unanswered questions. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Cop Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Keddie Cabin Murders. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. You know, doesn't that get old after a while? It does. I was trying to. <laughs> the man you hear and to my right has never played The Price is Right, but he wants to. I got close one time. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. They can't, they toured Georgia, man. We went down to Atlanta and uh, at The Price is Right on tour, we we almost got called up. It would have been sweet. What a band. What a band. What a, what a, what a, what a band. I want to play Plinko. That, yeah. Plinko's the fun game. So let's uh, get. I don't want to do the one where it's the yodeling no. mountain climbers. No, no, no. no, no, that one's not fun. No. So the most important <laughs> part of our podcast is what are we drinking? And tonight. Oh, you're not going to talk about like. We got, we'll get to the shout outs, but I need we, to get the beer oh, in. Oh, shit. All right. It is Almanac Love Hazy IPA from the great state of California. California. Knows how to party. It's an American Double California, Imperial yeah. IPA with a Knows big hefty 6.6 ABV. In the city, city of Compton. It's got uh, mango, <laughs> cantaloupe, and citrus. Dry hopped with citra mosaic and Simcoe hops. It's very tasty. It comes in 16-ounce cans. Which translates into delicious. It is delicious. Now... To the most important part, shout out, shout out, shout out. We gained a new Patreon patron. I know, that was awesome. Harley, and I'm going to butcher your last name, so we're just going to go with Harley I. Dude, give, how do you say it? How do you spell it? I-S-C-A-R-I-O-T. Iscariot. Wow. Yeah. I'm just gonna let I'm you. I'm gonna go with Harley I. I'm gonna let you linger on that one. Yeah. I asked. She is from Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's awesome. What tier is she on? She getting a sticker? She the three dollar. Nice. She the sticker. Hey, did you bring me my new sticker, man? Them things they are ain't got, sharp. Ain't got here yet, man. They're still in production. We're gonna send the. We gotta, Everybody on our Patreon list nice. gets one. It, hey, I will say this: your sister must have heard you <laughs> last week, and by the time I got home, she upgraded from her dollar, and she went halfway between. She went to five dollars a month. That's awesome. Look Way at you, go, sis. sis. Look at you, sis. Coming now you through. get. Now you get a sticker. Yeah, you can get two of them. 
<laughs> oh me. We are up to 195 on our Instagram. We, gave, we are killing it on Facebook. We've we got like a whole bunch of people. I invited five hundred people followers on Facebook. I went through and invited a bunch of people I knew personally and some people uh liked our page, so that was pretty cool. But anyway, nobody gives a fuck about that. Let's talk about murder. Murder, 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 murder. Now I will go ahead, I'm gonna preface this by um saying when you pick this case it is a user requested case that's true but when i was initially doing my research it said it was solved and i was like bro we're mysterious brews we're not solved brews so i was kind of making fun of you about it but the more i dug into it there's a lot of unanswered questions here like a lot there are definitely two main suspects and we'll get into them in a second but I just want to say thank you to the people of Ireland and Japan because we we cracked the top two hundred in true crime both countries. Anyway, back to your okay, <laughs> totally random. Okay, so like Coach stated in the opening, April eleventh, nineteen eighty one, Miss Glenna Sue Sharp is at home in Keddie, California. Well, and we have to point out before I know you're going to get into it, but. They just moved there, too. They hadn't been there very long. They right. moved from Massachusetts? No, uh, Connecticut. Connecticut. Connecticut, yeah. yeah. She, she had divorced an abusive husband and fled to California. And they had traveled across the country, basically staying with family and friends until they decided on a trailer that her brother had just left. And so her and her five kids fleeing an abusive husband from Connecticut decide on a new place of residence, and that's a three-bedroom cabin in Keddie, California, number 28. There's a... What this is going to end up being is one of the uh, most popular true crime cases of the Internet age. Um, when it happened, it got some some um, some coverage, but not nearly as much as once YouTube came along and then podcasts came along. And this is one of those cases where... If you're still interested, if you listen to this and you're still interested, um, Morbid did an episode on it. The Trail Went Cold did an episode on this. Um, there's a documentary called Cabin 28. There is a... Um, a whole website called Keddy28.com. Keddy28.com, which they really hate. That the documentary? documentary. Yes, yeah. they... Despise uh, it. Yeah. They completely, they say that everything in Cabin 28 documentary is bullshit. So if you watch the documentary, check out that website, and then they're going to refute a lot of it. But this is going to be um, very, very well known in the internet era. And the 2008 horror film, The Strangers, if you've ever seen that, has to be inspired by this. They, the filmmakers claim it's not. But there's just no way. And if you've ever seen the movie The Strangers, I don't get scared very often in horror movies, but The Strangers scared the shit out of me. It's one of those unnerving horror movies. Yeah, that one part where she's making herself, Liv Tyler's making herself some coffee in the kitchen and the dude in the mask is in the living room just standing there staring at her. That's fucking creepy. Yeah, it is. So, But again, they claim that it's not based on that, on this case, but 
Idiots. They say it's based on that and the Manson family murders, yeah. but I think it's more based on this. Absolutely. But according to Ketty28.com, Sue had five kids. Johnny, the oldest, mm-hmm. and he was 15. He lived in an unfinished room downstairs off of a small utility area in a partial basement. There was no internal stairwell or bathroom. There was actually a, a staircase that run up the back of the cabin or... You could come in the front door of the cabin, and that was the main access point. The younger kids were Rick, age 10, Greg, age 5. They shared a bedroom at the front of the cabin adjacent to the living room, while Sue and her youngest daughter, Tina, who was 12, shared a rear bedroom opposite the kitchen. And on Ketty28.com, there is an actual picture of kind of a blueprint that they've done and where the bodies are located and we'll post that on our uh social media and right before the murders in february about mid-february her oldest daughter sheila who was 14 had come to live with them after giving birth to a baby in oregon and she had put the baby up for adoption at that time sue started sleeping in a twin bed while both the girls shared a queen-size bed. And then sometimes Sue would sleep on a pull-out couch bed in the living room by the TV. Sue was described as quiet, reserved, and basically a woman who kept to herself. And there's an FBI document that was released dated from May of 1981, and it describes her as follows. Quote, she was not a fancy dresser and was not... I'm sorry, and was best described by casual associates and neighbors as a loner. Sue had one close girlfriend, a neighbor woman with the last name of Meeks. Sharp's only known source of income came from her position as a CETA worker, wherein she was paid to attend school, which was the Feather River Community College. She was learning a business trade, and that's all it states. It goes on to state, quote, she was described as being a good student who studied hard and obtained good grades, but who was also a loner and who did not participate in social gatherings such as coffee breaks. She had no other known source of income other than a $250 check a month, which was an allotment from the U.S. Navy from her previous marriage. And prior to her death, she had no local criminal record nor was she known to local authorities now being new to the area sue caught the attention of many single men sharks sharks in the water yep one that she started dating and it probably didn't go very far he proposed on the first date that's a red flag according to a questionable source and this has not been verified so take it with a grain of salt Sue had been in an abusive relationship with a man shortly before the murders occurred. According to this questionable source, a loud argument ensued with this man in her front yard of the cabin six weeks prior to the murders. The argument was a very heated one with loud profanity and dangerous posturing. Another boyfriend of Sue's was killed a month after the murders while being chased from a bar by the local County Sheriff's deputies. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't see that in my research. Sue's most recent boyfriend, a man named Daryl, who she was dating 
at the time of the murders had been introduced to her a week prior. They spent a lot of time with each other in that week, and they either stayed at his trailer, which was nearby, or at a local bar where they would be seen playing pool and drinking beer. Their last date was two days prior to the murder, and after that date, Daryl left Keddie to spend the weekend with his family in Paradise, California. So let's get to the night in question. And that is April 11th, 1981. Like we stated, she's residing in cabin 28 with her 12-year-old daughter, Tina, 10-year-old son, Greg, 5-year-old son, Rick, as well as one of the boy's friends, 12-year-old Justin Smart. Her oldest daughter, Sheila, is spending the night at a neighbor's cabin. And this was a very typical routine for Sheila. She would spend every Saturday night at the neighbor's. Sue would stay up watching TV while the other kids went to bed. Sue's oldest son, John, and his 17-year-old friend, Dana Wingate, were trying to come back to the cabin and had been seen hitchhiking after spending the day in Quincy. They were last seen on the road between 9 and 10.15 p.m. Sometime during the night of April 11th, two people enter the cabin, and this is up for debate because either Sue let them in or they walked in because the door was not locked. Well, how do you know it's two? You don't know it's two. Well, we'll get into that. It's at least two. At the very least, two people come in this cabin. Yes. They enter and... They tie Sue up with what was described as appliance wire. They gag her with a pair of her own underwear. And then she is stabbed numerous times and bludgeoned with a Daisy BB gun. What is not known is whether John and Dana were home when the intruders made entry or if they walked in on the intruders. What is known is both John and Dana are bound with medical tape and the same, quote, appliance wire. Dana was strangled to death by hand and bludgeoned. John was stabbed and bludgeoned. And the weapons used were at least two hammers, a butcher knife, and a steak knife. And the steak knife... Yeah, it's going to be found on the floor, bent in half. Yeah, it was bent. It was used so forcefully that the authorities state that it had been bent at a twenty-five degree angle. And there's a picture of that that we'll post. And it's, it's there's some anger, hatred behind that knife. Well, I mean, I, I would agree with that, but you never know how well the the. Knife was made. The knife was made. You don't know if it caught a bone and just happened to. I mean, you know, you can bend a spoon in ice cream. You can bend... Uh, With your mind. <laughs> there is no spoon. That's what you have to remember. <laughs> but, yeah, the knife, the, the, the steak knife's going to be, it's going to be, the it's going to be found bent. Now, one of the stranger facts of the case is that the three younger boys were left sleeping in their rooms... And Tina was taken from the cabin. So early 
on April 12th, the next day, Sheila returns to the cabin to get clothes for church because her friend had invited her to go to church. And unfortunately, Sheila is the one to discover the bodies. She runs from cabin 28 back to her friend's house and alerts the friend's mom. And her name is Zonita Seabolt. Tina and Zonita go across the street to cabin 25 where the owner of the resort lives and they call the Plumas County Sheriff's Office. After speaking with the police, Zonita, her son Jamie, and Sheila all go back to cabin 28. And this is pretty smart on their their part. They knock on the window to the boys' room and get them to open the window. And then they get those boys to exit the cabin through that window. And here's the thing. I know we'll talk about it, but three people are brutally murdered. And there's three children left unharmed. Three children, two of which we know didn't wake up at all. One, maybe. But we'll talk about that. That's just strange. I mean, that's just so crazy. That's one of the unanswered questions is how could a th- three people be brutally murdered? And you don't, the kids are not wake up. Don't even wake up. No. Well, Jamie would go back after they get the boys out and he would go up the back stairs and he would discover that the back door was open and unlocked. So at that time, the police arrive and they find two bloody fingerprints on a post at the bottom of the stairs on the back of the cabin. They also find blood on Sue's car door handle. And this is a weird one. There are stab marks in the wall and an enormous amount of blood splatter. Yeah, there's going to be blood on the floor, blood on the wall, blood on the ceiling. There's going to be blood on the doorknob of the the three boys' room. There's going to be blood everywhere. And a Curious little news nugget is that Sue's body is the only body that is discovered with a blanket covering her. And this would show some sort of remorse on the behalf of one or both of the perpetrators. Well, I don't know. Because Justin, the child, is going to be under hypnosis. He's going to claim to have a dream where he witnessed a murder. And he, in fact, put the blanket on top of Sue. And that is a point of contention on a lot of our research that we found. So during the investigation, the police find a bloody tissue, a red-handled pocket knife, and a bloody box with bloody toilet tissue that had been twisted in it at a nearby convenience store. So very, very odd. And on the... The police are going to uh, assume that of the weapons used, there was the kitchen knife, the butcher knife, two separate hammers, and Sue is actually going to have an imprint of what they determined to be the butt of a BB gun, the, the stock of a BB gun rifle. The two knives were found at the scene, and one hammer was found at the scene. So we have the BB gun's never been found, and we also have a missing hammer. Which foreshadowing will be found much, much later. But the BB gun itself has never been found. So immediately, within a couple of days, police began focusing on two men. And those two men are Mr. Martin Smart, who goes by Marty, and John 
Boobaday. Boobaday. Bo Boobaday. And he goes by Bo. Yeah. Now, Marty was Sue's neighbor, and he was living in cabin 26 with his wife, Marilyn. Bo had met Marty, according to the police investigation, at the VA where Marty was being treated for PTSD. Yeah, they both were Vietnam vets. Now, they questioned all three of these people after the murders. And according to their official statements, they had stopped by Sue's on the night of the murders to invite her out for drinks. She declined their invitation, and they headed off to the bar. Now, the fact that they're suspects, you have to look into their activities that night. And while they were at the bar, there's some very strange activities going on with these people. Marty gets irate at the choice of music at Mm -hmm. the bar. They switch the music from country to rock, and he makes a huge deal out of it huge deal out of it so much so that he complains to the manager and then later that night he's actually going to call back before they go back to the bar he's going to make a phone call to complain again yeah they get pissed off and leave and they go back to marty and Marilyn's cabin Marilyn would state that she went to bed soon after coming back to their own cabin that's when marty would make his phone call and after the phone call, Marty and Bo returned to the bar. And not only do that, not only do they come back to the bar and make a scene of some sort, their choice of dress was very odd. From my research, it said that uh, Marty and Bo came into the bar in three-piece suits wearing sunglasses. Basically wanting to be noticed. So if you're trying to establish an alibi... That's a good way to do that's it. That's a good way to do it. But I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to a bar that switches from country to rock, I don't think I have to wear a three-piece suit (laughs) or sunglasses. (laughs) But anyway, now, according to locals at the time, Marty was a friend of the Plumas County Sheriff, Mr. Doug Thomas. And he was rumored to have lived with the sheriff for a short period of time. Which this is going to be contested by Marty's wife. She's going to say that they weren't even that close. They barely knew each other. Right, and then another rumor circulating was that Sheriff Thomas had ordered Marty and Bo out of town, and those rumors were that Bo had lied to Sheriff Thomas about being a former police officer. And in a weird twist of events, Bo tried to tell police while he was being questioned that Jamie, the neighbor's son, had been the murderer. Hmm. And police kind of blew it off because they thought there's no way a 12-year-old boy by himself could have done all that carnage. And then out of the blue, during questioning, Marty stated that he was missing a blue-handled hammer. Yeah, he volunteered that information. They didn't even ask him. No. Well, the Department of Justice would be called in, and they would polygraph Marty and Bo. And according to the Department of Justice, they both passed. Now, years later, Marty's therapist would contact the Department of Justice and explain that Marty had confessed to her about being the murderer because Sue was encouraging his wife, Marilyn, to leave him. And for some unknown reason, no one follows up on those claims. What the fuck? Well, there's going to be a whole lot of things the cops don't follow up on, okay? This is going to be... A clear-cut case of corruption or incompetence. And we've covered both of those on, on this podcast several times. But 
Now, with it being, and I'm not taking the police's side, but again, this is an underlying theme in a lot of cases that we've discussed and a lot of true crime cases out there. It being a rural, small county and they're probably not used to having to do a whole lot of shit. Maybe not, but there's there's going to be... Uh, what's Marty's wife's name? Marilyn? Yeah. Marilyn, yeah. There's going to be some lies. Somebody's lying. The sheriff's going to claim that he gave marriage counseling to Marty and Marilyn, and Marilyn's going to deny that ever happened. Uh, people are going to say that Marty and the sheriff were good, good friends. And the sheriff's going to deny that. The sheriff's going to deny that, and so Marilyn's going to deny that as well. Yeah. Bo clearly lies about being a cop. And in another twist of events, it is rumored that Bo was a member of the Chicago Mafia. He was a hitman, supposedly. Yeah, I don't know about all that. Yeah, I don't either. Three years after the murders, there are some bone-slash-skull fragments that are found Mm -hmm. by an antique bottle collector scavenging a remote area near Feather Falls, California, and that area is called Camp 18. Which is going to be 100 miles away from from the murder site. 100. And, of course, it's just a human skull. It looks small. There's no... Before they could do any type of DNA testing or whatever they did back then, I was like four years old, so I don't know. They're going to receive an anonymous phone call. Yes, and we actually have a recording of this, and it's very hard to hear, and it's very short. The dispatcher... Hello, this is Plumas County Sheriff's Office. And the caller, who remains anonymous, states, Hello, I was watching the news, and they were talking about the skull found at the Feather Falls. And they asked for any help. And the dispatchers heard saying, Mm-hmm. And the caller says, And I was just wondering if they thought the murder up in Keddie, for, um, up in Plumas County a couple of years ago, where a 12-year-old girl was never found. And that's basically the nine, I guess, nine one one call. Yeah, and part of this about when we talk about cover up or incompetence, this they're going to take this call. It's going to be recorded, but it's not going to be documented in the case. And it was never investigated. It's not going to be investigated. It's not going to be anything. It's, in fact, it's just going to be stuck in an envelope and put in the bottom of an evidence box, and an unopened ev- envelope. Yeah, and they sealed it, put it in the bottom of the uh, the evidence box, and then it was not until recently that this was uncovered mm-hmm. and it is in fact going to be the remains of tina yes so tina after dental records confirmed that is tina's skull but it yeah she's going to be complete skeleton there's going to be nothing left to, of her except for bones so she's going to be dead for a long time so it was three three years and 11 days after the murders but tina died shortly after yes short either that night or shortly after the murders itself I would say either that night or the next day. But that raises a, 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 a mystery, a, a question, an unanswered question is, if she died that night, why take her 100 miles away? Why yeah. not just leave her there? Why take her at all? It's a, I don't know, 100 miles is, it leads credence to her being killed somewhere else and then disposed of there. But if they took her, why? Why'd they take her? Yeah, I didn't understand that either. So Justin Smart, which is Marty's son, has changed his recollection and his story throughout the years. And he was the friend that was spending the night with the two younger boys. 
Well, yeah, he's going he's gonna to undertake hypnosis. And under hypnosis, he's going to claim to have heard sounds coming from the living room while watching television in the bedroom with Rick and Greg. He's going to investigate these sounds, and he's going to claim that he saw Sue with two men, one with a mustache and one with short hair. I mean, one with a mustache and short hair, and the other clean-shaven with long hair. And there's a, a sketch that the um, police or the hypnosis did based on his description, and we'll post that as well. He gives a very detailed description of the murder that he states is from a dream. Yes, but then later, he, what he changes the story is he's going to later claim that he actually witnessed the murders. But I think it's true that he witnessed them because he gave details that nobody else would know. Yeah, and there's theories out there that he has either basically blocked these memories or he has kind of changed his story due to being afraid of his father. Yeah. He's also going to claim that John and Dana, the two male victims, uh, John being uh, Sue's son and Dana being the friend, said that they're going to enter the home and just begin heatedly arguing with the men and a fight is going to ensue. After which, Tina enters the room and she was quickly taken out the cabin's back door by one of the men. So again, if there is a witness to the murders and you leave him unharmed, that really, to me, points towards Marty because that's Marty's son. That's his stepson. There's The claim is that the three boys were spared because Marty, I mean, uh, because Justin was in the room with Rick and Greg. And they didn't want to, obviously didn't want to murder his stepson. But it's still strange that you're going to leave a witness. You're going to leave two, two other, three people total completely unharmed while you're going to brutally murder four people. Just so, it's so, so strange. Yeah, and on April 7th of 2016, a metal detecting man going <laughs> over, <laughs> his name unknown, going over the, the old Keddy Cabin's property finds an old hammer. And the hammer is a blue-handled hammer. So that would lead credence to... Marty's hammer being missing. Yeah, we keep we keep going, jumping forward in time because it's not until around 2013 where there's an actual factual investigation into this murder. Like, there's hardly anything in in the 1980s. They send um, some FBI agents, but uh, not FBI agents. Um, yeah, Department of Justice agents with the organized crime unit. And they're going to completely clear Marty and Bo. They're going to give them lie detector tests. They're going to pass them, and they're going to be written. They're going to be um, written off as non-suspects, which is a horrible way to say that. They're going to be cleared of being suspects in the murder. Yeah, and Kitty28.com has the actual interview of Marty, and it's a huge interview. Multiple, I want to say it's like 17, 18 pages. It's it's very odd, very, very odd. During this new investigation, there is a little nugget that is found, and it is a letter that Marty supposedly wrote Marilyn shortly after the murders. Yeah, this is, this is going to be another piece of evidence that they had at that time and just didn't do anything with. 
And the letters, basically it's a note. It's not really a letter. It reads, quote, I've paid the price for your love, and now that I've bought it with four people's lives, you tell me we are through. Great. What else do you want? Yeah, Marilyn's going to leave Martin the day after the murders. So if he murdered Sue because he didn't want to get a divorce. Backfired there. It fucking backfired. Yeah, she files for divorce the day after. Now, Marilyn's going to claim that she doesn't remember receiving this letter at all. But she does confirm that that is her ex-husband's handwriting. Now, unfortunately, Marty passed away in 2006. Bo was going to pass away in 1989, correct? Or was it? 88 or 89. I've seen both dates. Yeah. He's going to die of cancer, I believe. Yes. And so your two main suspects are now gone. So what that's going to do with your two main suspects dead, that's going to allow Marilyn to pretty much say whatever she wants about the incident without being refuted at all. And when they do the uh, Cabin 28 documentary, Marilyn is going to say that she 100% suspects that her husband Martin and his friend Bo were responsible for the murders. She said she claimed that on the evening of the crime, she had left Martin and Bo at a local bar around 11 p.m. and returned home to go to sleep. Around 2 a.m. on April 12th, she stated that she awoke to find two bur- the, the two men burning an unknown item in the wood stove. Additionally, she alleged that Martin, quote, hated Johnny Sharp with a passion, end quote. However, in the 2008 documentary, Sheriff Doug Thomas said that he had personally interviewed Martin and that Martin passed a polygraph examination. So therefore, he was not no longer a suspect. Now, another person of interest is D. Lake, and him being a person of interest, according to Keddy28.com, is a vast understatement. He is supposedly stating a story of loaning Marty his car and. D's car is seen at cabin 26 on April 12th at noon. And there is a picture on Keddy 28 and they are pretty savvy about their website. You cannot copy and paste pictures or any of the writing. So I suggest if you want to see these photos, go to Keddy 28.com. The car in question and a green sedan is seen in the picture leaving at around the same time, uh, D and his ex claim that D's car was a green 70s Ford station wagon, which you can clearly see in the picture. And it takes a back route out of Keddy rather than passing in front of a police car in front of cabin 28. And there's a couple of pictures of this green station wagon. And then there's another one showing that it's slowly moving away from cabin 28. Now, there are some pictures of what could be a baby blue station wagon, a mint green station wagon, or a forest green station wagon, all of which are on the website keddy28.com. D, Marty, and Marilyn would claim that D's 22 rifle was hidden under the front seat or behind the back seat of the station wagon. 
Now, there's a picture of this station wagon. It looks like an ad for you to buy one, and <laughs> it is very, very small. Very small. So it would be very hard to r- hide a rifle under the seat because they're both bucket seats. So according to them, this alibi is busted. Dun, dun, dun. 1983, the Chico phone book would show that D and Ramona lived in Chico. And the anonymous phone call, IDing Tina's skull, came in 1984. All copies of that tape were checked out by law enforcement and for some reason have disappeared. By that time, Marty was back living in the area of Paradise, California, while D. Lake was living near Chico. News of the skull got more publicity where they lived than in Plumas, which is kind of odd. So does that lead credence to D. or Marty possibly making the call? Crazy. Well, they are going to compare it to um, the interview that Bo gave. And they're actually going to say that it sounds a whole lot like Bo on the tape. Yes. But as far as Bo's concerned, this it's like circumstantial evidence that they brought they brought him in. They just automatically assume that if Marty was involved, Bo was involved. There's no DNA of Bo's. There's no fingerprints of Bo's. There's nothing other than the fact that Bo was a ex-con who may or may not have had mafia ties. Correct. All right, from the sketch that was made... One of the men is said to be a white male, 30 to 32 years old, 5 foot 6 to 5 foot 10, medium build, black mustache, black hair, comb back and greasy and gold frame sunglasses. The other one was a white male, 28 to 30 years old, 5 foot 11 to 6 foot 2, medium build, dark blonde hair with the ends tightly curled and gold framed sunglasses. And the sketch was released, and Plumas County Sheriff's offices stated, officers stated that they wanted to speak to these men in connection to the homicide. If you look at a picture of Marty and Bo and then look at the sketches, it's not a huge jump to see that they do have some kind of resemblance, but it's not a specific match. Now, another theory out there and another suspect was Mr. Ward Weaver II from Oroville. He was a long-haul trucker and a serial killer. His son, Ward Weaver III, handed over a broken rifle to law enforcement, which did not match the daisy used in the murders. Now, Ward III would end up murdering two of his daughter's school friends, much later in life. According to an interview, it is stated that, and this is about Tina, it is the opinion that Tina was underdeveloped for in her social skills compared to her peers. At one time, Tina said her mother's new boyfriend named Joe was coming around a lot, and this excites her because she was thinking that her mom might get remarried. Tina was very affectionate, and loved to sit on Joe's lap. Uh, Joe would state that this was unusual, and the other children would also do the same. 
At that age, though, I think they're looking for just a father figure, to be honest with you. Tina, according to this interview, uh, had learning disabilities and did not act like she was very mature and did not act like most 12-year-olds. Tina, however, was very streetwise and knew how to take care of herself. She was exposed to a lot considering that her older sister, who was pregnant and giving up the baby for adoption. Why? They got a tie on Kitty 28 to our first case. That's what I'm, uh, That's exactly what I'm looking at. I was trying to figure out how far away it was to Yuba, the Yuba uh, location. Well, they went to Chico, and that fucking station wagon is in Chico. Yeah. This was in 78. Maybe Gary Mathias did it. Yeah, I mean, I was literally looking fucking at Fucking Dan Forsino, the Cause look, sheriff's officer, headed the investigation of it. The 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 mark is where the Keddy murders are. That's not far from where... It probably went right over that mountain. Yeah. Because, you know, they went from Chico, they went up that mountain. That's fucked up. Yeah. So in a, a weird turn of events, uh, Mr. Dan Forsino headed the search and investigation... Into the Yuba County Five, and if you're a if you're a old school fan of Mysterious Brews, you will know that that was our very first case was the Yuba County Five, uh, nineteen seventy eight. So three years after that is when the Keddy murders occurred. So we're gonna have this, it's the location of the the where the Yuba County Five was found and where the Keddy Cabin murders occurred are not that far away from each other. No. Maybe Gary Mathias did it. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe. Because we're talking Bucks Lake. If you keep going on Bucks Lake Road into Quincy. There's it. That's you, Quincy, and man. You, and you make a left, you find, you'll eventually find Katie. So if you literally, if the Yuba County Five kept on driving, they would end up in Quincy. That's crazy. It's odd, man. Well, I mean, it's not odd, but... Well, it's odd it's that we circle back. Yeah. yeah, it's coincidence more than anything. So, the Keddy murders case would gain a little bit of traction in April of 2016. On April 9th, KOLO-TV would re-highlight the case. April the 7th is when the hammer, thought to be Marty Smart's hammer, was recovered. And that's documented it's in... It's going to be recovered in a pond... Um, it's going to be recovered in a pond that's going to actually dry up. But And when it's discovered, it's going to be claimed that there's no way that it wasn't placed there purposely. I don't know exactly what that means. I just don't know that's what's going to be said. There was no way that it was not placed there by accident. It was placed there purposely. It was found in a place where it's just impossible for it just to be happenstance that it ended up there. Whatever. You know what the fuck I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. The theory state, like in the Cabin 28 documentary, Marilyn's going to claim that Marty and Bo were definitely responsible. They did it on their own accord because, quote, Marty hated John Sharp with a passion. But the website, Keddy 28, is going to completely refute everything Marilyn says in that documentary. They're going to say that she's full of shit. They're going to claim that she was a mastermind. Okay? They're going to claim that she was a mastermind. Because uh, Marty and Sue were having an affair. 
And so she convinced Marty to kill Sue. And it just happened that Tina witnessed it and the two boys came in at the wrong time. It's clear that whomever killed these people had a lot of rage. It was a brutal murder. So somebody was angry. So another nail in the coffin for Martin to say that he was responsible is he's actually going to confess to his VA therapist. And the VA therapist is after Marty's death is going to turn that over that information over to the police. But still there's no there's no official record of them claiming Martin was responsible. Martin's going to confess to uh his therapist. He's going to write the note to Marilyn. He's going to have the missing hammer. He's going to give up all that information. So it's clearly pointing to him. But is that case is that does that mean the case is solved? There's no there's I no mean, there's been no arrests. There's been uh they've been cleared. Martin and Bo have both been cleared. And as a matter of fact, in April 2008, the investigators working the case are going to they're going to run DNA that they recovered from a piece of tape at the crime scene. And they're going to state that it matched it matched a known living suspect. Both Bo and Marty are dead. Right. So that takes them out of the equation. They're out of the equation. This is a living suspect. That was in April 2018. It is May 30th, 2020, and there's still not been an arrest made. That DNA on that piece of tape has not been enough for them to make any type of arrest, make any type of public statement about who that suspect is. Nothing. So what happened? Who did this and why? Marty's, Marty's confessed twice, but he's still been cleared. Bo is a, may have been involved, may not have been involved, but he's been drug into it with no evidence whatsoever. The only thing is, and you would have to dive deep into the Keddy28.com to chase the rabbit of the mob connection. There's a uh, We could do another hour and a half on that, and it's, it's extremely, extremely confusing. Uh, Keddy28 has a YouTube channel, and they have done some 3D tour mock-ups of cabin 28 and the crime scene well and the actual cabin has been destroyed it's been torn down because people see it as like a you know it's a it's a it's a well-known true crime case so people would come there try to stay try to do their own investigations or just try to have ghosts visit or whatever so they tore it down i would lean i guess my theory would be i guess touching on what we stated earlier was that I feel like that she knew the attackers. I know it's 1981 and people didn't lock their houses and they, she knew her neighbors, but I would almost feel like if she was watching TV, she would have, you know, it would have made a huge uproar if someone just entered and she didn't know it. So I'm kind of stumped on suspects, you know, kind of like you said, with them coming out in 2018 that the DNA found on the tape was from a known suspect, living suspect. That that rules out Marty and Bo. So well, it doesn't rule them out. It just means that if they were involved, there was a third person involved as well. Well, and then does that lead credence to the son stating he had a dream? Was he present and just didn't partake in it? Did he come with them? I think. Did that, he let them in? 
because he was spending the night. Well, and that's even more fucked up. But he's tw- he was twelve years right, old. That's you what think I'm a saying. Twelve year old's gonna be involved in a murder. Just go along with his dad. I mean, that's some heavy fucking accusations right there. Some weird shit. It, it is weird. I mean, that's it's and. Uh, I don't know. This is a real head scratcher, to be honest. It with you. is, and I—I I mean, and the 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 sketches that Justin is going to describe, the sketches don't look like Marty. They don't look like Bo. Maybe there was more people. In, I mean, obviously, there's got to be at least two people involved. At the very least, you can't subdue three people like that. Take another one out alone. I just don't think it's possible. Yeah, I don't either. It's. And then for the other kids to be, to not know what was going on is even odder, I believe. What's your theory? Because I, I, I really I'm going, don't. I'm going around in circles here. I, I, I am too. It's almost like we're chasing our own tails. I mean, I well, don't know. The DNA leads credence to either it was not those two or it was a third person that tied them up. And I think I think you really want to tie this to somebody you want to have a suspect because the 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 other option is so much scarier that there this was just random this was there was nothing behind it like if you've seen the movie the strangers which they claim is not based on this but you know one of the one of the victims asked why are you doing this and the killers just state because you were home that's the scare. That's the, that's the audit. Yeah, that yeah. would be the worst so, part of the whole thing. This could have been just a random thing. If if Marty and Bo weren't involved, there's really no other explanation. So I think that people are desperate to try to pin this on somebody. And maybe Marty and Bo were involved. I think there's a lot of evidence saying that they were. Well, the missing hammer, the blue-handled hammer, that could just be coincidence. I mean, but with it being, with him just freely. Volunteering that information. Yeah, and on Keddy 28, they give a little, I guess, cut from the interview where he brings it up. And something about, you know, I've never seen a hammer in there. The only hammer I've ever seen was wooden-handled. And, oh, by the way, I'm missing my hammer. It's just out of the blue. Yeah. So it's it's very odd. So, I mean, when we talk about unanswered questions, it's. Okay, why did this happen? If whom who else was involved? Who's the third person that they got the DNA from? How could it possibly two children aged ten and five sleep through a brutal murder without waking up? How could they possibly slept through this? Because we forgot to mention that the neighbors actually woke up in the middle of the night because they heard muffled screams. They heard they heard screams and they that were loud enough for them to wake up next door. Yet, oddly enough, they couldn't figure out where the screams were coming from, so they just went right back to sleep. That's and, strange as shit to me too. Yeah, and is that the is that the screams of them grabbing the two that were hitchhiking? Is that the screams of them trying to get Tina out of the house, or is that the screams of the actual murder going on? Who knows? But it was loud enough to wake the neighbors. So how could it not be loud enough to wake two kids in the next room where the door is found partially open with blood on the doorknob? How did what another question? What did Justin see? Was he part of it? Was he was he really, quote unquote, dreaming 
did he put the blanket on top of Sue? We don't know any of this. No, and again, you know, there's more there's more questions than there are answers. So we could sit here and pontificate forever, but basically we want to know your thoughts on this one. Let us know. Uh, reach out to us, you know, on social media and give us your theories. Again, it's just odd, a very odd, odd case. Um, very good case from a listener. But again, like Coach stated, if you are going to chase this rabbit, there's plenty of things out there yeah, for you to look I at. I mean, that chapter did a video on it. BuzzFeed um, Unsolved did a video on it. There's the the Cabin 28 documentary. There's the Caddy 28 website. There's podcasts. There's um, Morbid. There's Trail Went Cold. I mean, there's several, several that. So, I mean, if you want to learn more about it, if you want to know there's what there's a plethora of information out there so we get into our recommendations and i guess my recommendation since at the time of this recording the riots in minneapolis and throughout the country are still going on my recommendation is just be nice if you see something going wrong stand up i know that there's a lot of uh backlash to the person that was recording the video of what was that what was that person supposed to do right i know that's what i was gonna say big 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 thing about they should have done something well what were they supposed to do there was five cops there yeah and you know they've already i don't know i just if you got if that person would have gotten involved they would have been arrested for battery or uh, assault on a police officer they would have been arrested for all kinds of stuff and they would have went to jail and possibly what what happened would have happened to them. Right, and I think and that's the biggest thing. My my thing is I really believe that every police officer in this country should be required to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because if that person if that cop had been trained properly, they would know how to subdue how someone. to subdue someone without hurting them. Right, I agree. And Nine minutes with your knee on the back of someone's neck, as and nonchalant as that guy looked, I honestly think that he was he he had to know that he was hurting him. He had to know. And what's coming to light now is hell. They've worked together for they said up to three years at a restaurant across from the damn mm-hmm. police station. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's just an odd. That's an odd situation in itself. If they did know each other. Um, I'm not excusing the behavior. I don't think anyone is excusing his behavior. Everyone wants to see him charged and convicted of third-degree murder. And that's another thing that's a, a contentious. There should be first-degree. Well, felony murder, there's the definitions, and someone did post this. They posted in Minnesota the definition of charging someone with first-degree murder or felony murder, the definition of charging someone with second-degree murder, and then the definition of third-degree murder. And by definition, he was guilty of third-degree murder. Uh, he should ultimately be convicted. Um, they should bring up charges on the other four and hold them accountable. Um, you know, what I don't agree with is the looting and the burning of the businesses. They burnt down public housing in Minneapolis. I mean, what does that solve? You just 
you just put out tons of families out on the street by just setting fire to public housing. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's ridiculous. Um, but that was my recommendation. Just be, be nice. If you see somebody doing something wrong, stand up. Your recommendation? I'm going to recommend, and I can't remember if I recommended it already or not. I may have, but I'm going to recommend the show Ozark on Netflix. It is amazing. And though it's set in Missouri, it is filmed not too far from where we are right now on Lake Altoona. So it's a, it's a fantastic show. It's definitely not one for the kiddos, but that's my recommendation. I've watched the whole series twice now, and it's just amazing. So. If you are into the Jeffrey Epstein case, watch that one on oh, YouTube. Oh, watch that shit. Oh, my God. They sugarcoated a lot of that, but it will make you extremely sick by the end of episode two at what this man accomplished in West Palm Beach and the schools that he basically just used as his hunting grounds. That's, I'm not sad that man's not here no more. I'm not either. I don't know. I'm sad that the, the uh, accusers didn't get to face him. But I, I applaud that judge in New York that allowed them to speak even after he was dead. I definitely don't think he killed himself, but I'm not sad he's gone. You know what I mean, Vern? I know what you mean, Vern. <laughs> uh, we did get some traction on our last case, the Nancy Schaefer case. Um, a lot of people, and I even spoke to, to a lot of educators that I work with, and they were like us. The Nobody be- knew. Case before last. Yeah, sorry. Case before last. Yeah, we haven't released the the other one. But yeah, the Nancy Schaefer case, I mean, nobody in the education had heard of that. And it it just boggles my mind. So Yeah. How did that slip under the radar? That's I mean, that's still crazy. It is crazy. Well, coach, you got anything else? I sure don't, boss. Well, guess what, boys and girls? Uh deuces.